I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn me, turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men, that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Okay. Isn't that? Oh, I didn't need this. All right. Um, we have, um, I'll read this right now. Um, good evening, Miss Garrett. She's just on time today. Um, let's see here. This is from Remy in the Philippines, and she, uh, she sent photos. So um, uh, if you want to help her, that would be great. I can send you the photos of what she's asking help for. I hope all is well with everyone there. I am reaching out regarding a tragic incident that befell my godmother's family or relatives. Their house caught fire, resulting in the heartbreaking loss of her two children, and they were just little children. Uh, the mother also suffered severe burns, and that's, she showed pictures, and she's just, it's un, unimaginable. She's in need of immediate medical attention, which I'm sure she's getting, but she's going to have to pay these bills. They're seeking financial assistance to cover the urgent medical expenses for the mother's treatment and the burial costs for the two children. Any support from those willing to contribute would be sincerely appreciated. And she told me the amount in uh, pesos, it's comes out to about $890. Uh, I don't know if anybody, I mentioned this on the prayer list and somebody asked about it, but I don't know if anybody has sent money and I have not heard from her, but if anybody wants to help, I can tell you how you can get money to her. But uh, really tragic. I, you know, the lady lost her. Now, if we were in the hospital with burns like her, it would be $500,000 or more, right. you know, so this isn't a big amount of money, but if anybody wants to help, let me know and I'll, uh, I'll tell you how we can get the money to her. Um, Doug in Ireland is in the hospital again, and I have not gotten an update since this morning when he was having terrible problems with his, uh, uh, they weren't sure what it was. It seemed like his heart maybe, and uh, have we gotten any updates no. since then? Because I haven't seen anything in the email. I just checked the emails. So keep Doug in prayer. Doe is certainly going to be beside herself, and uh, so um, keep them in prayer. Um, uh, we have some... Uh, uh, they just got over COVID, too, which is kind of too bad. Yeah. And I haven't heard from Mark or Becky, who also had COVID, so out in Colorado. So I can't give a report on them. But anyway, we got those prayer requests and this need in the Philippines. And is there anything else that I have here? Um, uh, Do you want an update on Steve? Uh, how is Steve? Because well, I mean, we were praying for you here. No. Uh, I mean, she's home. Okay, Steve's sister is home. Yeah. And the son? being taken care of by her okay well then that's our update on steve he got back to florida when you oh he doesn't even remember he's only been here like two days but uh tuesday night anyway it's good to have you back and we'll hope that that's all behind you now so uh tom is your health doing okay did you get chemo this week oh next week okay all right well keep tom in prayer as well he's got another uh, round of chemo coming up and uh uh, Hidako, what day is your uh, surgeon's appointment? Uh, 23rd. 23rd. So in uh, next, week. next week, we'll have her with the surgeon. Okay. No, a week we, after next. A week after next. Okay. Um, let's see. Today is what? Uh, it's 11th. 11th. January 11th. We'll go ahead and see what they have to say here this year in uh, Christian history. Uh, scandal of the century. American Christianity suffered from clergy scandals long before the televangelist disgraces of the 1980s, which we're still not through. No. Uh, the most popular pastor of his time, Henry Ward Beecher, created the scandal of the century in 1870. And to this day, no one knows the full story. Beecher, pastor of Brooklyn's Plymouth Church, was a witty, dynamic, larger-than-life political activist promoting heartfelt causes such as racial equality and woman suffrage. Though theologically liberal, he became the best-known preacher in America. But his speaking engagements and church duties kept him away from home, and he grew distant from his wife Eunice. Beecher was an imposing man with broad shoulders, flowing hair, grayish-blue eyes, full of expression. He exuded vitality and charm, especially with women. Rumors began surfacing about his involvements. 
when Elizabeth Tilton came into his life, the rumors rose to the surface like gaseous bubbles, which sounds exactly like what I typed from uh, Judges chapter 8 this past week, the uh, um, Abimelech sermons and the, the worthless people he hired. The words mean uh, basically um, uh, bubbles, and uh, I, I can't remember the first one, but uh, airy and bubbles, okay? These people, they're, they're just worthless people. It sounds just like that here. Anyway, I'll have to go back and look at those notes. Um, oh, yeah. Um, let's see here. So um, he's, uh, where was that now? Rumors began surfacing. Um, uh, Libby's husband, journalist Theodore Tilton, traveled widely, and she was lonely. She approached Beecher for counseling, uh-oh, and soon became as close as confidant. In 1870, Libby confessed that she and Beecher had become intimate. Beecher denied all but kissing Libby and giving her emotional support, and the situation simmered for years. Uh, it burst on public, on the public on January 11, 1875, when Tilton sued Beecher for alienating his wife's affections. The trial dragged on, becoming the talk of the nation. In the end, the jury was deadlocked. While Beecher's supporters gave him the benefit of the doubt, the New York Times spoke for, uh, yes, yeah, spoke for most when it editorialized on July 3rd, 1875. Sensible men throughout the country will, in their hearts, be compelled to acknowledge that Mr. Beecher's management of his private affairs has been entirely unworthy of his name, position, and sacred calling. Now that was the New York Times which today is promoting every perversion on the face right. of the planet. Beecher himself admitted as much to attorneys who once apologized for disturbing him on a Sunday. We have it on good authority, he said, that it is lawful to pull, I, yeah, okay, pull an ass out of the pit on the Sabbath. That's quoting the old King James there. Right. Uh, well, there was never a bigger ass or a deeper pit. Anyone who desires to be a church official, it's funny that we're reading this right out of Timothy today and we're starting Timothy, right. uh, desires to be a church official, wants to be uh, something worthwhile. That's why officials must have a good reputation and be faithful in marriage. They must be self-controlled, sensible, well-behaved, friendly to strangers, and able to teach. So there you go with that. Um, we'll go ahead and go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, We've got a situation in the Philippines that desperately needs remedy, and we pray for that poor family that's lost two young children uh, and the woman that's highly burnt. We would pray that your hand would be upon her, and if she doesn't know you, I would pray that Remy would have the chance now to speak to her about the goodness of God in Christ, even in the loss of her children. She can understand this. And Lord, um, we pray for uh, Doug and Doe in Ireland and just ask that your hand would be on them and that uh, you would help dug through this situation with the uh, hospital, the physicians, whatever's going on. Uh, we pray for uh, uh, Steve's sister, that she would continue to take her medicines and be able to take care of her own son so that Steve can be without that burden in his life. And Lord, we thank you. We love you. You're so very good to us. Everything you do is perfect. Even when we don't see it at the time, we can look back and know that it was perfect. So you've orchestrated all things according to your wisdom, and we trust in that, and we just are confident of a good end for all those who have called on you. We thank you for that surety we possess. We pray that this book will be a blessing to many, and uh, we pray that it'll be handled properly and people will check what they hear so that they're uh, not just given one piece of information and running with it. And we pray this that you'll be glorified in them and that they will be glorified in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we are now in the book of 1 Timothy. Just finished up the uh, two books, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And um, uh, if uh, you're watching Timothy and you are just starting this because you've never seen a study on Timothy and you did not see the Thessalonian studies, if you're interested in the end times, the sequence of events that is laid out, especially in 2 uh, Thessalonians, I would encourage you to watch those because there's a lot of misinformation on uh, the status of the church, the dispensational model, the timing of uh, end times events. But Paul is very clear. He lays it out very clearly. And the only thing that uh, uh, makes it not readable for us is our own inability to accept Paul's simple writing. So um, uh, just if you want to see that, please go back and watch those. But um, uh, here we have 1 Timothy 1, verse 1. Before we get into it, I will say that uh, when we get into chapter 2, I would like to remind you this now and as often as I can. 
that I did not write 1 Timothy. Paul wrote 1 Timothy, and he did it under inspiration, inspiration of the Spirit. So when we get to some difficult verses that some people will not be happy with, it doesn't matter to me at all. Paul wrote these words, and I am going to teach them as they are written. Okay, if people uh, are in churches today that conflict with what they believe Paul is saying, that's their problem. Okay, it's the same thing. Usually they take verses, especially out of Galatians, and they manipulate them in order to say this when those verses say exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying, but they twist them in order to justify what Paul clearly and explicitly forbids. And that's coming up in uh, 1 Timothy 2. Uh, we might be there today, we might not, but um, uh, the chances are we won't be there. But anyway, um, I just want to keep reminding you of that, that Paul wrote these words. They're not cultural. They are prescriptive for the church age. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles during the Gentile-led church age, and prescriptive means that they prescribe something. If something is descriptive, like I was sh shipwrecked, okay, that's not prescribing anything. It's just Paul describing something to you. But for the most part of Paul's writings, they are prescriptive, whereas Acts is almost exactly the opposite. Acts is not to be used as a book of doctrine. It's a descriptive account of the establishment of the church, how the Lord worked through the apostles to establish the church. Once you start taking Acts as a prescriptive book, you will immediately fall into error, okay? And that is probably uh, I, I've said this before, but it's probably 95% of the error that is found within the church is because Acts is mishandled, okay? And we've got all kinds of aberrant doctrines because of that. If you take Acts for what it is as a descriptive account and understand that, then your doctrine will be very, very much better off, okay? And if you want, we're going through Acts right now. I, every day I type an Acts commentary, um, I uh, send it out. It's posted on the Superior Word website, and anybody that wants to receive it can. It's also um, on YouTube. Uh, Joey up in uh, West Virginia puts it in. I hope it's West Virginia. I always get that. Anyway, Joey, I'm sorry. Um, uh, she puts it on YouTube, and you can read it with music behind it. It scrolls. She does it out of, a, out of courtesy to the people of the church, and she does it every single day. So you can go there. You can also go Daniel in the U.K., uh, does the commentary, uh, he reads it, and with that beautiful British accent, you can't help but you know be dreamy over what he's reading. So uh, you've got all kinds of options. There's no reason for you not to take the 10 or 15 minutes every day and go through the acts as we're going. Um, I'm up to page 1600, I think, and 80 right now, uh, and we're in Acts 23. I'm actually typing Acts 24, but one verse a day, and we'll be done with the book in another uh, probably five or six months. But uh, it's a great adventure. You will learn sound doctrine if you understand that it is a descriptive account. And that what there are things that are normative, though. When Paul or the other apostles baptize everybody every single time that they are converted, that tells you that baptism is something that we should be doing. That's not describing, I'm sorry, prescribing anything. That's done by Jesus in Matthew 28. But it is a normative thing. When we see something normative repeated again and again, we can say this is probably telling us something we should be doing even you know, without Jesus having commanded it. So there you go. Those are just some points uh, to let you know that Timothy is prescriptive in nature. He is prescribing, okay? Uh, one, two, uh, Timothy and Titus are known as... Here we go. Very close pastoral epistles. And I'll say that again, but you, you got it. Okay, uh, go ahead and read 1 Timothy 1.1 1, 1 and we'll get started. Just to start is the cherry picking outside of a cherry orchard. Yes. Never works. Never works. Ever. Stay so, in the orchard. That's right. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Very close. It says our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Um, we've got a guest today, and just so he knows what we do, we have two basic texts that the uh, New Testament comes from. One is the Byzantine tradition, and one is the Alexandrian tr tradition. Uh, the Byzantine governs most of the older translations, like the uh, King James and Young's literal translation, etc. 
and uh, also the New King James Version, which I use for any preaching or teaching. And then we have the Alexandrian tradition, which is uh, more favored by modern translations. There are some differences, um, but in the end, there is no problem with the Word of God. We talk about that quite often, and I've shown you how you can know that the Bible is reliable, even if there are some differences in these. Um, so that's something we can go over again at some point. But uh, that and this almost match perfectly. And uh, plus, when you have translations, there may be textual differences, but there are also um, uh, what is known as translator's preference. Translators, you know, they have a, a variety of ways of translating a verse, and you can change the structure of it, which the King James is notorious for. They take something and put it so out of order that you don't know what they're talking about anymore. But um, that's their preference. They're trying to make it a readable thing to their audience. And uh, then you also have what is called anybody begins with a copy and ends with right. Yeah, so you can't copy other people's uh, uh, translations. And so you know, we have 18 billion different translations in the Western world right now, and they all have to not copy each other. So there's got to be variation. And that can be good because you can stretch your mind and come up with words that actually uh, carry the correct intent of the Greek, which weren't used in the past. Um, a perfect example of that is um, from the book of Acts. Uh, there's one, I don't know if we've gotten there or if it's already posted. I just can't remember, but um, it's where... Um, uh, the word I translated when I did the commentary for that day's uh, verse, I translated the word as judicials. And nobody else has ever translated that way. I couldn't find another translation that did, but that accurately identifies it as it would be a, uh, uh, a judicials would be a, uh, anyway, we'll just say an adjective. I can't remember right offhand, but everybody else has to use a verb or something and it doesn't match the Greek. So there is no word judicials, but in my commentary I explained there is now a word judicials because Charlie Garrett has coined that word. So I don't copy anybody else, but I'm also giving a literal rendering of what the Greek says. So anyway, um, uh, that's the difference here on, uh, on if there is any difference in the, the text. We will note that and talk about it. But for right now, uh, welcome to the book of 1 Timothy. It is one of the three pastoral epistles and it is comprised of, anybody know how many verses? Okay, shame on you. You should have, I'm kidding. 113 verses. Now, this is from the commentary that I typed on 1 Timothy. So it says, therefore, it will take us one day at a time, just as each day starts anew at the sunrise, just under four months to analyze it. So I typed up a commentary day and it took four months. Uh, Acts is a little bit longer. And so it's taken about two years so far. Um, it is hoped that you will be blessed as each verse brings marvelous insights into this beautiful epistle from the mind of God and through the hand of Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. As we will see, there are a couple of reasons why Paul wrote this letter to his beloved protege, Timothy. The letter is intended to send encouragement to Timothy and to build him up in his position as a leader in the church. It is also written to warn him about the false doctrines and false teachers who are already steadily working within the church to cause confusion and division. Now think of that. This is 2,000 years ago, and people were just given the word by Paul and the other apostles. And there's already false teachers out there teaching things that are aberrant. And what Paul writes about that carries on just as well today as it did back then, and in fact, even more. We've got everything new under the sun, which actually isn't new at all, just being reinvented and brought back into the play. Um, if you think about it, the Jehovah's Witnesses in the 1800s came up with their doctrine, right? It was just a replay of a heresy that would had been played out back in the 350 uh, year, about 350. And so they were teaching that Jesus is not God, okay? And so that was the, and I'm trying to think of the uh, name of it, uh, Ar Arianism. Hmm. No, is that it? Uh, yeah, Arius. Arius. So Arianism. There's so many heresies out there, it's hard to remember them all. But, uh, you know, they had that out. It was declared a heresy because it's obviously contrary to Scripture. Jesus Christ is the Lord God. Okay? He's united with human flesh. He's fully God and fully man. But uh, along comes uh, Charles Taz Russell in the 1800s, and he says, well, I've discovered that Jesus isn't God. And now we've got millions of people around the world that are given a false gospel. They're given a barren doctrine. And so there's really nothing new, but Paul is telling us even at the beginning, people were falling away from 
what was sound and what was proper. What the apostles had told them, and some of it was already in writing, and, uh, you know, eventually all of the epistles were canonized. The book of Revelation was canonized, but it's astonishing how many times somebody will email me and will want to introduce a heresy. I told you about one that somebody has been attending the church for how long? For years now. And all of a sudden, within the past uh, month or so, I was told that G there is no trinity. And I said, I'm sorry, i got to break fellowship with you. I, I have to break fellowship with you. If you're denying the deity of Jesus Christ and the trinity, until you come to a resolution with that in your mind, I can't fellowship with you. I can't do it because that is... There, you know, a heresy is different than bad doctrine. Bad doctrine is like mid-trip rapture, okay? It's just an incorrect thing. It's not going to take away your salvation. A heresy is what? It's not Christian. It's just well, it, a heresy would be defined as something that will keep a person oh, from being saved. Right. Yes. Right. Uh, uh, in other words, that person may actually be saved. He may have been saved as a child or as a, a, an adult or whatever, and all of a sudden he comes up and he starts teaching something that is incorrect, which will keep the next person from being saved. Jesus Christ didn't resurrect. Well, if Jesus Christ didn't resurrect, which Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 15, we have no hope, right. okay? So uh, there are not a great number of heresies, but there are a great number of ways of introducing heresies. And so uh, a denial of the deity of Christ is one, but then there are differences in that, okay? A denial of the Trinity is a heresy, but there are differences within that. So there may be a billion different ways of denying the Trinity, but there's one denial of the Trinity, if you see what I'm saying. So anyway, Paul is writing that these people, yes? Same guy is today as was back there. Satan is working in this. Absolutely. He tried that on Jesus even. That's right. He, he takes you back to Deuteronomy, you know, the scripture. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And yeah, whichever one you're, yeah, that's absolutely right. And Satan is behind it. And he's the author of confusion. He's the author of the one that wants us to tear ourselves apart, to divide. And he also wants us to be weak. So when somebody comes in and says, well, you know, I, I, I am uh, uh, no longer a proponent of, you know, the deity of Jesus Christ. Okay, what are they going to do if they're on Sundays, you know, somewhere in the world and they're watching live? What are they going to do when they're posting? They're going to say that. They're going to start teaching that. And that's why we have moderators that, you know, thank goodness for them. They just volunteered to do it. Sergio set it up and these people watch. And they, if somebody starts getting out of line, they either put them in timeout or if they continue with it, they just ban them. Because they're, he is everywhere trying to destroy people, their doctrine, their faith, and just to tear people away. And so, chapter eight, he's the father of lies. He's the father of lies. Absolutely right. So uh, let's see here. Um, uh, yes, cause uh, confusion and division. He begins by stating his name and title, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, his words. Because of this, does anybody know what the name Paul means? Little. That's right, little, small. It's, you know, he was Saul, asked for, all right, same name as the first king of Israel. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, like the first king. Actually, well, I won't get into that now. We'll get into that in a couple chapters of Judges. But um, uh, Paul, he was in Crete. He was evangelizing, and who did he meet? And was, as far as we can tell from the uh, book of Acts, who was Paul's first convert? Sergius Paulus. And so you can infer, because right after that, he's got the Sergio Paulo. Yeah, and which is what it is in Greek. But um, yeah, he, we can infer from that that he assumed that name, Paul, is his Greek name. And uh, to kind of identify himself with the Gentiles as he was going through. Now that's speculation, but it can be inferred from Acts. So anyway, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle means? Sent one. Sent one, okay. An apostle of Jesus Christ cannot exist today. If somebody says he is an apostle, turn around and walk away. Okay, that's uh, an incorrect application of that. And there's no need for having titles. I'm a pastor. I'm, you know, Pastor Charlie. I'm Reverend this and I'm, you know, apostle. You know, that's fine if you're doing a letter on stationery. But there's no need to introduce yourself like that. I'm Charlie Garrett. This is Jim Dwyer. You're Loretta. You know, we're just people. But um, an apostle is a sent one. 
you can be an apostle of the superior word. Uh, we had a guy, Ray, that went over to Isaac in Uganda and spent a whole month with him. Now, we could have said we are sending him as our minister to Uganda and called him an apostle. There's no need for that, but that would be a, an appropriate designation of the word apostle in that sense. He is sent from the superior word. Once again, we didn't do that because it's not needed. But if somebody is sent of Jesus Christ, that means that Jesus Christ sent him. That is what it means, okay? There are only a limited number of apostles in Scripture. And Paul says it, uh, he was one born uh, out of due season or unnaturally. That's right. He is an exception to the other apostles. He had to be brought out of his spiritual darkness. He was commissioned. He saw the Lord personally, which is a requirement of it, um, etc. There are certain requirements of an apostle. He met those requirements. The other apostles acknowledged him. And so he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, a sent one of Jesus Christ. Well, um, he did that in, was it 13? He said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas. For the yes, well, that was, yes, that's correct. And But that was for the ministry of missionary itself. That wasn't his apostleship. No. Yeah, but that's right. But he they were sent as ministers of the church at Antioch. So they could claim apostleship from Antioch. We're apostles sent by Antioch, but not of Jesus Christ. Only Paul would be. What's that? Yeah, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, I heard somewhere that the title, the, that the word Christ was a title. What it's not a name. Mean? Christ Christos. It is identical to the Hebrew Mashiach or Messiah. Oh. It means anointed one. Okay. Oh, okay. It, it, what they would do is they would take a uh, priest or a king and they would anoint him with oil was special oil that was set up for that. It was uh, in reserve for that purpose alone. They had the anointing oil of the priest. Nobody else could be anointed with that, okay? Only the high priest could be anointed. Anybody else that made anything like it was actually to be put to death. It was a special anointing oil. Well, there is also an anointing oil, which we don't know the contents of because scripture doesn't tell us, but that they reserved for kings. And the first one that we actually know about that was anointed, what's that? Uh, no, actually, uh, uh, well, I, oh, that's right. Saul, they were anointed as king. I was thinking of the actual act of it where, um, but maybe David, you're right. I don't want to speak out of that because um, uh, I was thinking of Solomon. Take him down to Gihon and anoint him as king. But it may be that they act, oh, they did. Saul, I believe, was anointed and David was as well. I believe both of them were. She's shaking her head and she's it yeah. was my reading this morning. Oh, good. So we got confirmation. She read that. See, now this is why we have a Bible question after the sermon every single Sunday. That's why she wins okay? all That's why she wins, just because she's reading her Bible. Okay, you can't know Jesus if you don't know your Bible, and you can't know God if you don't know Jesus. So you can't know God unless you read your Bible. So please read your Bible, okay? And then uh, we challenge somebody every week, and uh, they usually go home with a, a small gift, maybe ten or twenty thousand dollars, if they get the Bible question. So she's already made like one hundred eighty thousand dollars, and it's only the fourteenth uh, of January. So, kidding, of course. Okay, so um, Apostle of Jesus Christ. Because of this, it shows that this letter is more than a simple personal letter meant for Timothy to read and cherish as his own keepsake which we know anyway, but it is not something that uh, he was writing to Timothy. Timothy, this is just for you to file away. It was to become doctrine for the leaders of the church, okay? Instead, it is intended to be maintained as an authoritative letter of doctrine. Here it is for the church at all times. Because it is in the 66 books of scripture, it means that we now uh, yeah, did I say books, 66 books of scripture? It means that it is now canon, okay? It is for us. This letter was intended by God to be our instruction for the proper running of a church. How, who do you select as an elder or a deacon? How do you appoint them? What are their requirements? Okay, those are in there. There are lots of other things in here, um, but we need to uh, go to this book. We don't want a book of discipline. We don't want a book of covenants or any of that kind of stuff that denominations have on their pulpit that say, this is how we run this church, because those can be edited. They can be amended. The Bible cannot be amended. This is our marching orders, and when we start fiddling with things like that, we bring 
damage to this. This becomes secondary, that becomes primary. And that's why the Methodist Church right now has gone through an entire split over a single issue, when it should have split a long time ago over several issues, and why you left in, what was it, 19, uh, I would have been about 2000. 10, 9, something like that. So. Anyway, <laughs> you know, the abortion issue. They left because of that. But, you know, it's taken, we'll get beyond abortion, we'll get beyond, and finally, they're to the point where they're ordaining people that aren't even men. I'm talking about, they, they call themselves women or women that call themselves men, and they're, they're doing things that are insane. And people are finally saying, well, we need to leave this denomination. They should have left it a long time ago. But that is what happens when you have a book of discipline or a, a book of covenants or things like that. Stick with the Bible. You would do very well. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, yes, the title apostle in relation to Christ Jesus is something. Oh, I already said this. Sorry, guys. Which is incorrectly applied in the church today. True apostles are only those who personally witnessed his work. Okay, when I say uh, true apostles, I'm talking about true apostles of Jesus Christ. Okay, they personally witnessed his work. Paul was called as an exception to this because he only came to know Christ after his ascension. But he did see the risen Lord. He qualifies. He specifically notes this calling in 1 Corinthians 15. So we'll go there very quickly. 1 Corinthians 15, and we have, um, I'm just going to start with the beginning because we have the, the gospel right in verses three and four. If you want to present somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is none other. This is it right here. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. That's his introduction to the gospel by which you also are saved if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Verse three and four are the gospel. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that Christ, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Okay, that's the gospel. Jesus died for our sins, meaning that we're a sinner. If we accept that, that means we acknowledge that we are a sinner before God. Okay, Christ was buried. I say this every Sunday. I try to never miss this. Christ was buried. That means that he went into the grave proving a couple things. One, he was Two, he died for your sins, so your great your sins went into the grave with him, okay? And then he rose again on the third day according to scriptures. What that means is that if he was not God, he'd still be in the grave because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, he must be God. Secondly, also, yes, he had no sin of his own, but secondly, that your sin is forever atoned for. Because if your sin stuck to him, he never would have come out of the grave. Instead, he did what the goat of uh, separation did, the picture of that in Leviticus 16. It, the sins were separated from the people, taken out into the wilderness, never to return to the people. That's a picture of that, okay? He is our atoning sacrifice, the hairy goat sin offering. He is our goat of separation, separating us from sin eternally. He came out of the grave proving that. That is the gospel. And then he goes on. He says that gospel, um, verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the 12. Okay, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. And then he goes and explains his apostleship. Okay, go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 15, and what a great chapter. Anyway, um, so there you go. That's Paul explaining his apostleship based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. The apostolic age ended with the completion of the Bible and the last death, and the death of the last apostle. Um, just so you know, I've got dyslexia. So I'm always saying words backwards. It happens all the time. So don't panic over that. Um, but uh, the ap apostolic age ended. Now we live by faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We should not expect anything beyond that. And that's why we need to keep our nose in this. Okay. Being an apostle of the Lord then had a special significance and only came about by a specific calling by Christ himself. And that was done in uh, the Gospels, where he selected the 12 apostles. One of them betrayed him, did not repent, turned back to him, 
which, you know, you can debate all day long whether uh, Judas was saved or not, and we know he wasn't, okay? The, the Catholic Church likes to say, sure, God's grace and mercy are unlimited, and he's saved, okay? God's grace and mercy are unlimited, but you need to turn to Christ, and he didn't do that, okay? And so once that happened, then he was separated from God, and another apostle was selected in Acts chapter 1, okay? That was Matthias. Matthias, okay. Um, yeah, but there were two of them, and I, I was pretty sure that was the right one. Then. Anyway, so he replaced him, and uh, then from there, Paul became the 14th apostle. Why 14? Because there was Judas, who's still an apostle, even if he died outside of the grace of God. There were the 12, there was the 13th, and then the 14th, which match matches the 14 sons of Israel, because Jacob had 12 sons. He adopted two more, making 14. So the pattern is complete, okay? Uh, I know that's confusing. Don't be confused. It's all in the sermons. Go back and watch uh, every one of the, um, uh, let's see here, um, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and number sermons, and it'll make total sense to you. Take no okay? time at all. No time at all. Okay, so um, yeah, you'll get it. Uh, and then from there, you can go in and understand that Paul is picturing the fulfillment of that, all those pictures back in the Old Testament. I'm so excited about Sunday. Oh, just great. I, we did part one, and now it's part two, and it's just, I'm so excited. Um, uh, let's see here, Gideon. What a great passage. Um, okay, so let's see, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 8. Uh, after stating his official title, this is Paul, he next says, by the commandment of God. At other times, he will say, by the will of God. The word translated as commandment here is as, uh, this is helps word studies, an order that arranges things so they build on each other to achieve the needed goal. An order that arranges things so that they build on each other to achieve the needed goal. That's the word that he uses as commandment. God ordained that Paul would be an apostle in order to assure that his goals of the church age would be properly met. Why? because none of the other apostles had the qualifications that Paul did, okay? He needed somebody that had the qualifications that only Paul possessed. He was a Jew, but he was raised in a Gentile area. He was raised as a student of the law under Gamaliel. He had all of the knowledge exactly that God needed to provide the Gentile people of the world the chance to hear the message and be saved. None of the other apostles would have been effective at doing that. They were Peter, the apostle to the circumcision, all of them had their own role. They all, you know, it's not in the Bible, but the, you know, the account of some of the apostles that they went as far as India, okay? And if that, they did, that's great. And they may have evangelized Gentiles in the process. That's great. They may have only gone to the, you know, the exiled Jews. We have no idea. This is all extra biblical stuff. But even if they did, what they told people would not have been understandable to the Gentile world, even to this day, the way that Paul has been able to define it in his writings. His writings so perfectly match up with everything that is given in typology from the Old Testament that nobody else could have done. God picked the right man, inspired him, and used him. And more than that, Paul had the, uh, the will the gumption and the stamina of the greatest bull on the planet. I mean, the guy never stopped. Mm. So he was willing to work with his own hands. He didn't sponge off of anybody. He was uh, a great, great man chosen by God, and he expended himself right to the very end, telling the world about their need and their, their honor of being bestowed faith in Jesus Christ. And so, you know, he's just the right person. Um, Anyway, uh, this is an important thought for the pastoral epistle, that Paul was ordained by God specifically, and now he is telling what the church age structure of the church is to be. Okay, I will stop right there because uh, I don't know if I say this in the commentary or not. I typed this probably, you might have it written somewhere, but I probably typed this, we'll say seven years ago, what, eight years, whatever, it's 2024. So it's been a while since I've read any of this, but um, the structure of the church is going to be given by Paul. How big is a church supposed to be? It's okay. <laughs> it, it's, it's not defined. I'm talking about it's, there's no temple. 
The temple in Jerusalem was given minute instructions, how long it was going to be, how tall it was going to be, the different rooms that were in it, where things were placed. Everything was absolutely prescribed according to a very set plan from God. And every detail of that, every material material used, every length, every dimension, everything pictured Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that, go back and watch the Exodus sermons on the construction of the tabernacle. Even the names of the people that constructed those implements, Bezalel, in the image of God, okay, from Bezalem. In the, he's, he's a man that's been given the task of creating or producing a replica of what would be anticipatory of Christ. So in the image of God. This is God, and this is the image of it. So everything about every single detail was given. Now we are in Christ. No details are given. The only details that we're going to be given on... So when somebody tells you we're going back to an Acts 2 church, or we're going to go to an early um, church church, they're making stuff up. It's not defined. There is no time of worship set. There is no day of worship set. There is no uh, structure that is set. You can meet on the beach like we did for years. You can meet in a building. You can meet in a gymnasium. Christ is residing in you. You are the church. When Paul speaks of the church, he never speaks of an edifice. Now, there are places where they would meet, a house church or whatever, the house of uh, uh, Philemon and Onesimus. And Okay, that's fine. But that was not the church. They met down by the river. They met here. They met there. Those things are Paul is completely unconcerned with. He is concerned with the proper operation of the church by people that have called on Jesus and belong to him or need Jesus and should be evangelized by them. Okay? So, get that out of the way. I may repeat it in the notes. I just don't remember. But there are no dimensions for a church. There is no number of lights in the ceiling. That's Sarasota County determined this. I did not, okay? The sign on the wall that says exit back there, where are you going to go? We're at the 20 by 20 building, not even that. That's all Sarasota County, all right? The stuff on the wall people sent us or my grandmother made or, you know, uh, but none of this is a church. It's just a building. And if it burns down today or somebody drives through the window, big deal. We're still the people of God, okay? So, um uh, let's see here. Uh, where are we? Um, uh, by the commandment of God, I read that. Um, it is showing p- that Paul's words, despite being personally addressed to Timothy, are intended for the proper functioning of the church, which had come into existence. The church, the church universal. The word, what is the word that is used to describe the universal church? Some people are going to go, oh, what is it? Oh, it's a ca- Catholic. Catholic. Uh, that means universal. We're not talking Roman Catholic Church, but because the word Catholic is so identified with Roman Catholicism, we've just dropped that from our lexicon altogether. We don't want to say that. But all Catholic means is universal, okay? Roman Catholic Church means the universal Roman Church, okay? Which is not the Greek Church, which is not the... There you go, Catholic. But we don't want to use that word because it's so identified with the Roman Catholic Church, that we just use the church. We are the church, the human beings in which the Holy Spirit resides. Okay, it's so. Lord, uh, what is it? The uh, Creed. Yeah, the Apostles' one Creed. Holy, one holy one holy Catholic, Catholic Church. It doesn't say Roman Catholic Church. It's one holy Catholic Church. Holy, universal. Apostolic. Yeah, apostolic. Yeah, because we are under the authority of the apostles. You said what, though? You had a word. Synagogue, but oh, yeah. it means congregation. Well, that's right. And the only time that is used is by James when uh, after the uh, gospels in uh, that uh, you know we've got the word ecclesia the called out assembly okay but the synagogue is specifically used by james he's speaking about them anyway um that's a little bit different but it is still a body that he was writing to okay um let's see here so um uh, what does it say here pastors are to read these letters and hold fast to the doctrine which is contained in them I know, I've said this before, as astonishing as it is, I was in a church years ago, and there was a minister there, one of the, you got the pastor, you got several ministers in the church, and the minister said, I've been a Christian for 35 years. He says, I've read the Bible through one time. 
I was in another church, and you know who I'm going to talk to because he ordained me. He said he had never read the Old Testament. Oh, ever. I can't imagine. We've been in the Old Testament now for over 10 years, starting in Genesis, and we're finally up to the book of Judges. I, I can't imagine not reading and knowing what the Old Testament says. Because everything, it's the foundation of everything that leads us to an understanding of Christ. You can't know the book of Hebrews and what he's talking about in any comprehensible detail unless you know the book of Leviticus. You can't. I mean, you can understand what the words mean, but you can't get what he's talking about. This is Paul. It's not signed by Paul, but it's Paul who wrote it. He's writing an epistle to the end times Jews about what they need to know in understanding their relationship what with what they had neglected, which they had now reinstituted as temple worship, and what they need to understand is the better fulfillment. Better, better than, better than, better than, all the way through. Better than Moses, better than the angels, better. He is telling, he is giving them implicit and explicit instruction that they need to know concerning Jesus Christ. And with all of that wealth of knowledge that they have from the Old Testament, or they should have, they can put the two and two together and say, I get it. So, but you can't really know Hebrews in any reasonable sense without knowing the book of Leviticus. So it took us, what, a year and a half to get through Leviticus. And I tell you what, I, I might have said this to you last week, or I may have said it to somebody. I can't remember when I said this, but uh, a lady emailed me. She attends online with her daughters, and, and she emailed, and she said, we, I gave the children, we're starting a new book. I gave the children a uh, decision. Do you want to go with the New Testament gospel or do you want to go with something from the Old Testament? Two daughters. I don't know how they're old there, but they're not old, okay? Both of them said, we want to go to Leviticus. And I thought, that are people after my own heart. That, that I couldn't believe it. So they're starting Leviticus and they're going through all of the sermons from the church in Leviticus. And I'm just so touched by that. You know, when I uh, uh, was in college... I, I may have said this too, and if I have, I apologize. But when I was in uh, Southern Evangelical uh, Seminary, you had to do a report on an Old Testament book. And you could pick the book you wanted, and you had to have it approved by the uh, professor first, and then you did your report. And, you know, most people pick something really big and complicated like Jonah or maybe Obadiah, right? Mm -hmm. And so I emailed him, and I said, I want to do Leviticus. And he came back, and he said, you know, you shouldn't joke like that. Or so. he, he thought I was just making it up. I said, no, I, I want to do a Leviticus. And he said, nobody's ever asked for that, ever. <laughs> That's th that is the foundation of understanding the priestly role of Jesus Christ. Without understanding Leviticus, we can't understand what he did for us, the magnitude of what Christ did. I mean, we can. We can appreciate it. I never had to read Leviticus to get the gospel and to break down into tears for three months sitting in a church afterwards. I, I didn't need Leviticus for that. But once you know what Leviticus is telling you, you say, oh, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Anyway, we'll go on. Uh, it is showing that Paul's words, uh, yes, despite being personally addressed to Timothy, are intended for the proper functioning of the church, which you come into existence. Um, here, I'll read that again. Pastors are to read these letters and hold fast to the doctrine which is contained in them. This commandment of God, Paul's words, however, is more fully expressed with the added words, our Savior. This designation, when ascribed to God by Paul, is unique to the pastoral epistles. He doesn't say it anywhere else. Jude also uses it in his short letter as well. It is a note that God has saved us through Christ Jesus. Both can be termed Savior. Because God is the author of salvation, and Christ, who is God, but who is the second member of the Godhead, being fully God, is the means by which salvation is effected. So he can say God our Savior and Jesus our Lord and Savior. There's no contradiction there. So tying things together with all the conversations we've had tonight since we opened, that points directly that God is not monastic. Absolutely. So... Monadic. Monadic. Yeah, monastic would be sitting in a monastery. Yeah, yeah, we don't have that. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, he is not a monad. That. Absolutely, he okay. is. He is. Uh, there's. 
a plurality within the Godhead. Now we need to find out what that plurality is. Is it a duality? Is it a, a triality? Is it so? Yeah, it could be whatever. And the Bible reveals that there are three members of the Godhead. But it Godhead. Makes a hole in the fact that he's not God. Absolutely I mean, right. That's absolutely right. He then states that the commandment for his apostleship was not just from God our Savior, but also from the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Acts 9 gives the details of Paul's commission directly from the Lord Jesus. That commission is then stated by Paul in Galatians 1, 11, and 12 as well. Let me go ahead and read that to you just so you have it. Galatians 1. Oops, sorry. Wrong way, Charlie. Galatians 4, 3, 2, and 1. And he says... um, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He was personally commissioned. He was given that. And that is the commission that Paul stands under. Did you say Galatians? Galatians 1, 11 and 12. Yep. Okay, the hope that Paul, you had that, you were going to call it out, weren't you? He's always ahead of us. Burke is always ahead of us. The hope that Paul speaks of, which is found in Christ Jesus, is the hope of glory. Is it hot or cold in here? It was, everybody's okay? When I came in, it was so cold, I turned on the heat. And then I thought, maybe I should turn on the air, but if you're all fine, good. I just Because when I'm going, I get really hot and it doesn't matter. I, I, I could be sitting here with 30 degree temperature and I'd still be hot. So I want to make sure you're all good. Okay, the hope that Paul speaks of, which is found in Christ Jesus, is the hope, Paul's words, the hope of glory, which is noted in Colossians 1.27. It is through the work of Christ and through that alone, nothing else, that we have a hope of future glory. There are no works involved. I know Roman Catholicism teaches you must do certain things to prove you're saved. I understand that the Seventh-day Adventists say that you must observe a Sabbath or you cannot be saved. I understand that there are 10,000 denominations out there that add you have to speak in tongues or you're not saved. On and on and on. The only thing you need to do to be saved is to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, when you believe, not later, not you know, after doing certain things, when you believe, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, evidenced by the conversion of uh, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Him and his household heard the gospel. Not a word was spoken from them. They didn't do anything. They didn't go and take a diet so they could get all the pork out of their system or anything like that. The Holy Spirit came down on them, okay? Now, obviously, that's a a descriptive account, but it tells us that exactly what Paul says is exactly what happens. You receive the Spirit when you believe. Okay, so that's it. It is by faith in Christ alone that you are saved. Okay, the work of Jesus Christ, what he has done. Okay, so um, let's see here. Um, The hope, it is through the, yes, this hope is found in Christ, and it is one which has sustained the church now for 2,000 years. Just before we started today, Mark reminded me of uh, uh, Paul Harvey, his talking about, um, uh, if I were the devil, what would I do? So we listen to it again. It's three minutes and 26 seconds long or something. And it's well worth listening to once in a while, just to remind yourself of what he said in 1965, which is, check, check the marks. Everything he says, done. I'm going to go into the church and I'm going to teach that you can have all these freedoms and all of these you know, pornography and all. And he, I'm going to destroy the church first. That was the first thing that he brought in. Then I'm going to do this. Washington's going to become your God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we just check all of them down and they're all done. Okay. America is on the path of self-destruction. All right. But he started with the church. Okay. We need to hold to this. And when we deviate from this book, we deviate from what is sound. All right. Once again, when you go home, I would hope that before you go to bed, you would read your Bible. Read your Bible. And when you wake up in the morning, please read, read your Bible. Bible. And throughout the day, think on what you've read. And if you have time at lunch, read the Bible. If you want, you can do what I do, and you put in a Bible into your car and just put it on permanent play. Then it plays. I, I drive so little. I drive very, very little. And yet, I've gone through the Bible in the past three years probably 15 or 20 times. I... I 
10 minutes a day at the most. Sometimes it's five minutes a day, okay? I drive to the mall to do my morning job. I go home. It's a mile and a half in each direction. But you drive okay. very, very fast. Yeah, I drive really fast, so I'm not really, I'm not really uh, in the car very long. So, um, yeah, okay. Thanks a lot for saying that. Um, anyway, um, yeah, it's, I, I don't do a lot of driving. I come to church twice a week, and I go down to the projects on Saturday, and that's it. Unless, you know, there's something to do or somebody's visiting town or whatever. I just don't drive. And yet... We've gone through the Bible in that truck now, how many times? And every time, just yesterday, I got done with the book of John, and it skipped to the beginning, Matthew. So I real quickly took out the, the disc, put it in, put in the next one, and I'm listening to the book of Acts right now. And it's so exciting. It, it never gets old. The more you listen to the word of God, the more that it fills you with the goodness of God that he has done for us in the person of Christ. So if you want an audio Bible, buy one, listen to it, okay? It, it's so, you know where I got the idea of having an audio Bible? Because I didn't really know they existed. I, I'm kind of slow on the uptake, but I was at my friend's house one time, okay? It was the morning time and they were playing the Bible, just listening to the Bible. And I thought, where'd that come from? It was when I visited you guys on uh, the Jericho to Jerusalem walk. Oh. Yeah, you were listening to it in the morning and I, I'd never heard an audio Bible. Oh, you're right, that's right. That you were, and I said, where'd you get that? And you said, oh, here, you know, and I, the first thing I did, I went out and got one and that's all I do now is just listen to that audio Bible. It's just wonderful, you know? Or if you want, you can go on YouTube and you can have, um, uh, what's the guy that did um, Poirot? Um, uh, Hercule Poirot. What? Yeah. Oh, he he read. No. Not, he'll read the whole Bible. Okay. He's done the Book of John. He he actually does it just from memory at times. He's, it's smart. There's so many avenues of. David Suchet. What? David Suchet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, so if you want to listen to David Suchet, you can have whatever. You can have. Uh, it's so many people. You get the one I'm listening to now. The Word of Promise has got all kinds of people, famous people, and people with great voices, and. Uh, Who's the guy that does uh, Paul? Um, uh, 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 Jim Caviezel. No, not Caviezel. He's Jesus. But um, Stacy, Stacy, um, uh, he used to be an actor, snorted a lot of cocaine, met Jesus. Uh, uh, oh. Anyway, great, great voice. That's a long list. Stacy Keach, thank you. Thank you. Great, great stuff, okay? Uh, be inventive about the Bible. Yes. Synagogue. Synagogue. Paul went into the synagogue. That's right. Revelation, I think it's chapter 7, says the synagogue of, of Satan. Satan. That's exactly right. There's none in James. There's no synagogue. No, 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 no. When he, the word synagogue is used in James. Is that in the uh, it, 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 It's not translated as synagogue, but it's used in James. Oh, really? Yes. Now, Acts and Revelation wasn't what I was referring to. I was referring to the epistles. Okay, but in the epistles, that is the one time you're going to see the word synagogue is in James. So you could find that if you want. I don't know if you can, but anyway. Um, okay, so um, the stating about uh, this about Christ Jesus shows that Jesus is, in fact, God. If he were a mere man, he could not be our hope in the eternal sense. It wouldn't be possible. But he is our hope. It is in him that we place our confidence, something that would be blasphemous to do in anything or anyone less than God. Jesus. Jesus. He's the full expression of God. I don't know how you can take Colossians 1 and read it and come to any other conclusion unless you do what the Jehovah's Witnesses do and insert the word other into the text in the New World Translation where he says, by him all other things were made, which can't even be inferred from the Greek, much less inserted, okay? They just inserted into there. By him, all other things were made because God created and then Jesus created everything else, which is, by the way, impossible according to the first principles. Uh, a contingent being, which Jesus would be, can't create anything. Only a necessary being can create. What? The Jews picked up on that. that oh, sure they he did. He said he's making himself God and he's blaspheming. Sure, that, that's exactly right. James 2-2. James 2-2. Meeting, meeting is meeting. And, and, and Anyone group. comes into your meeting, oh, meeting please. place, synagogue. Yeah, it's the word synagogue. But they, they don't put that in there because it confuses Christians, so they just kind of brush over it. Anyway, I bet you if you went to Young's or somebody, they would probably say the synagogue, but whatever. Okay, so um, uh, life application. The pastoral epistles are intended for proper church doctrine 
for proper doctrine within the church. Sorry about that. And for the selecting and guidance of leaders within the church. But they are also to be studied and understood by all in the church. Church members are to be familiar with them so that they can rightly evaluate a pastor, deacon, or teacher if he is living and teaching in accord with the word of God. If you don't know the pastoral epistles, you have no idea if your pastor is doing what they tell him to do. Right. You don't know if he's met the qualifications that they demand that he meets. Okay, you, you are the ones that are responsible for your doctrine. I'm giving you instruction today, but that doesn't mean I'm right. And if I teach you something and you say, well, that doesn't sound right, you have to have a reason why it doesn't sound right. If you don't know the Bible, you'll never say, well, that doesn't sound right to me. Or where did you get that from? You just have to accept what I say. So please read your Bible. And I'm not talking to you. I know you all read your Bible every day, but the people online, somebody may have clicked on today and they say, what's that bearded guy looking, you know, what, what's he about? Well, I want them to read their Bible. Okay. It, 17, be a Berean. Be a Berean. Check them out. Absolutely. <laughs> They studied the scriptures daily to see if what they heard was correct. Right. Absolutely right. So um, church members are to be familiar with them, meaning the, uh, the pastoral epistles, so that they can rightly evaluate if a pastor, deacon, or teacher is living and teaching in accord with the word of God. Each individual should be familiar with these letters and they should refer to them from time to time to keep the content fresh in their minds. You can't refer to them time to time unless you're reading the Bible, okay? So if you're reading the Bible, how long does it take to get through the Bible if you read 30 minutes a day? Because it takes 154 days at the speed of an audio Bible, 154 days. So um, uh, 30 minutes a day, if you just sit, and you can read faster than an audio Bible. Okay, when you listen to an audio Bible, that's somebody that's slowly and carefully reading you something. Now, if you're Sergio Voitenko, he can type at 180 words a minute. Wow. So he does an entire chapter. Oh my goodness, we got one verse done today. Uh, we've got dinner for you. It's, uh, we've been waiting for Steve to return. We've been waiting for him to return. He's finally returned. And I'm sorry, mom's not here. She's too tired to come. So, uh, Steve, we're having a celebration because you're here and these people sent some money. Um, uh, we're not having pizza today. We're doing something a little different. And it's going to take all three of what they sent for um, uh, it, to pay for this because it's once a year we do this. This is the big special day. Um, Marie, Melissa P., and Phil Kaufman all gave for this. Okay, so thank all of them in your uh, prayers today. Um, uh, but that'll take care of those, uh, what we got today. Instead of pizza, it, we are now going to have a delightful treat of Mexican food. So, yeah, good stuff. Anyway, um, we'll go ahead and close. I know it's early. Okay. Sorry, online. Uh, Can I ask we'll one be, question? Yes. Okay. I just want to circle back with the question that Loretta had about, okay. about Christ. Yes. In all of Paul's letters, he always says, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. This one is all, everywhere you look through, it's Christ Jesus. Christ, Christ Jesus. Why That's do, fine. Why do you flip oh, it? It's just, you know, it's like me. I change up. You know, I'm Charlie Garrett. I'm what? Garrett, it's Charlie. just a change up. It means exactly the same thing. Well, Messiah, Jesus, it's, it's or. Like he's making a point by doing this. Is well, I don't know. He, he may be highlighting his messiahship over his yes. name. Yes, or he, yes. yeah. What's that? That's right. Yeah, well, that, yeah, there you go. And so, but it's a change up. He's got his reasons for it, but, you know. I, I'm whatever, but it does. It highlights his messiahship. And sometimes he just says Christ. He doesn't even say Jesus. Right. He's talking about the embodiment of God in human flesh. And so he says Christ. Okay. So when you hear the word Christ, just think of the term Messiah, the anointed one. Okay. And he's not just anointed as our high priest. He is also our king. Now, um, hyper dispensationalists will say that, um, well, Jesus isn't really our king, and I don't like using that term. And you, you'll hear him say that. As a matter of fact, Les Feldick said that. And I was like, Les, what are you thinking about? What does Paul call what we are in right now, the state that we are in? He calls it the something dumb of God. Commonwealth. Kingdom. kingdom. The kingdom of God. You can't have a kingdom unless you have a king. Have a king. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your precious word. 
Thank you for the book of Timothy. We're so excited about going into it and finding out what needs to be done to select our leaders and our deacons and our uh, proper ways of handling things within the church. So help us to be uh, steadfast in checking this out and uh, making sure that what uh, we are believing in whatever church we attend is in accord with this word. And the person that we're following has met the requirements and is doing the things that he should be doing. Lord, for the people that have their own churches on Sunday morning that come to these Bible studies, we would pray that they would uh, evaluate their, their pastors and their deacons appropriately so that they would find out if, in fact, things are being done according to your word. And Lord, everybody that's heard this study today, I would pray that they would go home and check it out read it, study the Greek if necessary, but find out if what they heard is correct and that they would do this with any study they attend all the days of their life to, so that you will be glorified in them, Lord. And we once again lift up the people that we mentioned at the beginning. We pray for that poor lady in the Philippines who's lost her children and is so badly burned. Uh, give her peace and comfort and hope in her life, especially with the knowledge of Jesus who has redeemed her if she calls on him. We would pray that that would be the case and that Remy would make that abundantly available to them. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the people that gave the money for the food today. And we just want to uh, bless it right now. And we want to praise you for all the goodness that you give us from day to day. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let me back this up. And uh, I don't think we have sound, but that's okay. We'll just wave to him goodbye. And... Uh,